From Central Sauce and the Fifth Element Podcast Network, this is In Search of Sauce, a celebration of the writers who are saving music journalism from death by clickbait. Hello, I am today's host, Tyler Jones, and today I am joined by Mickey Hellerbach. Hey, I'm Mickey Hellerbach. I'm a writer for Central Sauce. Um, uh, Hyped to be back doing the show. Um, uh, promote something about myself. Oh, let me, because I don't think I did it last time. Let me uh, self-promote my 92 Till Radio uh, show exclusively on Spotify through uh, Fifth Element, like this podcast is. Um, I explore each album, uh, each favorite album of mine from each year I've been alive and insert uh, a few songs from each of the albums as I talk about them uh, all in under an hour or trying to be in under an hour. Definitely go listen to that at your convenience. Uh, I got five five episodes so far and going from 92 to now. So yeah, check it out. And where can we hear that, Mickey? Uh, exclusively on Spotify. Um, under the 5EPN radio is actually how you can look it up. Um, uh, yeah, I I post about it every Friday too uh, on my Instagram and my Twitter. Uh, Twitter is at Mickey Montebello and Instagram is at Mickey Hellerback. Um, it'll be in the link in my bio uh, in my Instagram every Friday. The new. So now we've got uh, the we've got the full advertising puff there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, thanks, thanks I for sh- the uh, the alley oop there, Soma. For sure. Yeah, anytime. Um, I'm Soma Ghosh. I am a cultural critic on music film, books, um, for The Quietus, The Irish Times, Little White Lies, um, and elsewhere. I'm also the editor of cult polysexual arts magazine, The Demented Goddess. Um, And uh, it's great to be here speaking to my transatlantic cousins. Um, Yeah, uh, looking forward to this one. Lovely. And once again, my name is Tyler Jones. Uh, I am a frequent writer on the Why We Like It series, which I need to get back on, um, and the playlister for our Season Sauce uh, playlist. And, shameless plug, but also I can't say too much about it yet, be on the lookout on revolt.com for something coming from me very, very soon. Aha. Uh, <laughs> did you, so, <laughs> Tyler, you just, you just did like the, the very like mellowed out version of the young Jeezy <laughs> ad lib. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Tight. I don't even know I did it. Yeah, um, <laughs> that's the AT- the ATL coming out of you. Hooray! <laughs> <laughs> so, with that being said, by the way, um, let's also see what what have we been listening to. Soma, why don't we start off with you? I've been listening to Former Things by Lone Lady, which is uh, featured in the current issue of TheDementedGoddess.com in our DJ mix by our resident DJ, Quiva Lavelle. I've been listening to this because I don't know how you guys are feeling about a summer of clubbing. Um, Clubs are spawning this summer in the UK as restrictions are lifted and just like so many bubbling frog eggs in humid city tanks. Here they come. Um, and so this this album is by a Mancunian artist and DJ, Lone Lady. Um, and I, 
it's, it's just great to see all these independent clubs and dance parties uh, that I love coming out with their full force of uh, euphoria and open-heartedness. Um, particularly uh, queer clubbing is where I do 90% of my dancing um, and particularly in Manchester and Leeds. And even if you're not queer, I think it's such a vital cultural space, um, a space that just knocks down the usual uh, heteronormative hierarchies in clubbing, which, you know, in commercial clubs, you can get that quite tense, um, gangy, tribal vibe, which is really nobody's having any fun. Um, and so, you know, but at the same time as, as, as all of this stuff taking off, um, you probably know that, um, that COVID is rocketing again in the UK. So there's this feeling of clubbing in the rubble and that's what this album brings, um, this tension um, that I'm feeling, I'm unsure about where I'm gonna go, what I'm gonna do, but this sort of tension between euphoria and devastation. I mean, maybe that's just quintessentially how everybody feels between about three and four in the morning when you're not quite sure whether you're gonna go home or you're just gonna stay out. Um, it's um, propulsive, jagged, mid-tempo, um, disco, techno. Um, and there's this lovely um, and uh, intelligent line uh, through it of um, melodic but persecuted um, vocals. Um, this sense that the dance floor doesn't always have the answer, this place that we go to forget everything is often where we're confronted with our past selves and former things as the album title suggests. Um, so yeah, it's got the squelchy synth, it's got the 80s electro, it's got the new order guitar, it's even got a slightly Janet Jackson drum machine. It's danceable, but it's unconsoling. Um, and it's also turning away from the future. It's saying, we're just, we're not quite sure. Um, we're dancing at the heartfelt point of collapse. Um, so it's been, it's while I'm unsure as to uh, which, if any of my usual club haunts I'm, I'm going to go to, um, this really expresses a lot of the sound, particularly of Manchester clubbing for me, where I will be uh, dancing at somewhere like the White Hotel. It's one of my favourite venues um, under the lights of Strange Ways Prison. Very nice. Oh, man. <laughs> I actually need new house music because I've been putting together multiple house playlists. Mm -hmm. So this is this is great. So actually send that over to me in the chat later. I would really appreciate <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, great. And Mickey, what have you been listening to, bud? Man, well, firstly, some of that that whole uh, kind of monologue there really reminded me, and this, I guess, like will feel like a shameless plug, but it just made me think about it, of my cover story I wrote on James Blake last year because it was surrounding his before EP uh, that he dropped, which was really, firstly, the thing that's funny is because you said Euphoria like six times in the name of the publication that I wrote it for is Euphoria Magazine. Um, but he it was very much like that kind of like dancing in this kind of unsure place and mm -hmm. like kind of finding the joy through it. And that kind of feels like mm -hmm. you said in the rubble. So, uh, that, that project in itself, I mean, cause it was like smack dab in the middle of the pandemic to him and to me listening to it felt so much like that. Um, but what I have honestly really been listening to a lot over the past, at least two weeks since we did the last uh, podcast episode is definitely the Tyler, the creator album <laughs> um, and commenting oh, on it. Oh, we know. In our, 
our Twitter, we know. <laughs> our Twitter group chat, uh, to um, our editor of our podcast, Charlie's dismay, as he constantly is roasting me about updating my status of how much I like it or don't like it. Um, but I've kind of, you know, Tyler, the creator, I, I can very honestly say has not necessarily been an artist for the entirety of his career that I've been super uh, connected to or into but this album um, I definitely am going back to it more than any other album I've heard of his I love the like I mean obviously I keep, I feel like I keep talking about this but like the the craving for nostalgia through the pandemic is like you know bringing back the gangster girls and DJ drama but doing it in a totally organic way is like it's it's definitely like a weirdly comforting thing that you didn't realize you wanted or needed um, but I think like the the album has much more range than the kind of just like standard rap album qual thing that people are kind of describing it as. Um, and there's a lot of peaks and valleys in it. Uh, the more I listen to it and it kind of like it, I feel like I'm really hearing a lot of new things every time I go through it and just kind of naturally being drawn back to it and run it up with Tizo touchdown might be like one of my favorite Tyler songs ever at this point. <laughs> we gonna run it up. That's right. Um, I've been doing the same thing, actually. Um, I've been playing a lot of Tyler, the creator. I've um, been listening to just in my sad feels per always. Uh, <laughs> Give on bag. Um, Cassius Clay's project is also really, really good. I've been enjoying that. Um, Mickey Loki put me onto the Cassius Clay project. I was I kind of forgot that it came out. And then I was like, oh, crap, it's great. And um, last but not least. Uh, also really love the Vince Staples project. So with that being said, next thing we can go into <clears throat> is our first article brought to you by Soma. Yeah, so I've chosen uh, a piece by Jessica Finn at The Clash, which is a British indie um, music magazine. Um, and uh, this one is on the um, alternative pop artist Aurora. Uh, so she had a big comeback, which um, you might know about, hashtag Runway Aurora, for those who uh, listen to their music um, via TikTok. Um, and I mean, I say come back, she's never, she's never really gone away, but um, it's more that she, that, that the whole piece actually plays with this notion of, um, of time um, using moths as like a central motif, which, uh, which we'll come, which we'll come back to. Um, so anyway, so uh, Aurora's, um, Aurora's song Runaway was a folksy electronic ballad that blew up in 2021. And she's got a new song that's just come out called Cure For Me, which is burlesque cabaret synth pop, I think is how I'm going to describe that. Um, and what we've got here is uh, a really great um, interview and artist portrait. Um, and what I... I mean, so many things I like about this piece. Um, it uses it uses interview to give an arresting portrait, um, framed by really adroit storytelling. So by the end, you 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 know who Aurora is, even if you didn't know at the beginning, you got no idea, and you want to know more, and um, and you want to listen. Like I don't know if either of you guys had ever listened to her music before. No, you kind of no, they're 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 saying no, but. 
you know, I, do you know what I mean when I say that um, sometimes I feel, uh, as somebody who works in the music industry, there's this kind of um, inverse snobbery among music nerds. Like, if you don't know this artist already, then you're not worthy of reading my article. Um <laughs> And you can understand it because, you know, hell, it's competitive and we get paid shit. So, you know, it's, 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 it's understandable. Um, but to me, this kind of attitude is it's just it's just an expression of, of ego and, and insecurity. And, and, and a good writer um, in any genre is generous and super clear, even when they're going wild. And I think we all know that um, that I like I, I like to go wild. Um, and so that was one thing that um, I don't know what you guys thought, but I thought that you know using the interview to portray this character, making you interested in this character from the start, so you actually want to know more. That for me is just you know that is a that's a key that's a key ding ding for. For, for for hitting the top when it comes to interview writing. Yeah, the uh, the thing that really drew me in was the the writer's voice. I think inherently, uh, I think that this is like a, a, my favorite line of the whole piece is just kind of this random like writer one-off thing where so you talked about the kind of moth thing and we'll come back to it as this kind of through line of the piece. Um, but then in the middle of that kind of thing, uh, Jessica Finn writes, like a butterfly, the beauty of this melody was caught only in glimpses before it silently drifted away into the ether. This little line that Finn drops amidst uh, talking about Aurora's song Runaway, talking about when it was released, um, then talking about when it was reemerged on TikTok was like so clever to me. It was like a little wink to the reader about winged insects that she started the piece with, tying it together in like a new context. And I just imagined Finn just kind of chuckling to herself as she wrote it because it's it's almost a bit cheesy, but um, in this kind of very literal writerly way to me, you know, cleverly inserting something. Oh um, yeah, to, yeah. To get I mean, the there's tone a lot of, of her voice. Yeah, the tone of her voice. Exactly. I think being able to use uh, an interview to portray the character of the artist and put it in your own voice, so that the the writer's presence actually brings more depth to the exchange, is getting as close to what a really great interview experience is is about. Um, I'm going to read a bit uh, of it, but before I go into that. Um, I was just wondering, like for you guys and uh, your interview experience, do you have like a preferred amount of time um, or format like in real life or phoner or now Zoom? Because this interview really cleverly, I think, gets works out the position of music writer, um, I presume from the... I'm not entirely sure, actually, of, 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 of the age range, but she seems to have moved back to live with parents during the pandemic, which is a very common thing that lots of Bless. people, particularly in their 20s, who've been flat sharing, just, you know, it's, it's become untenable, have been doing. So, but she, but, she, but she brings in that thing of, you know, her dad watching uh, an interview with Aurora and saying, hey, that's the kind of thing you would do. So, you know, there's the dad, there's the childhood bedroom. And um, some of these things could be a bit of a distraction. Um, and maybe there's a line or two that uh, I'd have said, well, actually, you know, let's, let's just, let's just stay in, in the interview. Um, but yeah, how, how do you like to pursue the interview? <laughs> I prefer Zoom. Zoom works for me so well. 
um, Zoom and or like, uh, I guess, Google Hangouts. Just And usually for me, whenever I'm interviewing an artist, I happen to get lucky that I've already built up a lot of rapport with them already. So it's a very comfortable environment. I make it very conversational. Um, while versus like this, art, uh, what Finn does is so awesome to me. Um, is just like their word choice and how they're able to book uh, like uh, uh, have like that first metaphor of the moth and then the later metaphor of the moth to like end it all which like i said we can get, uh, like mickey said we can get into later but that was just brilliant to me <laughs> i loved it yeah i have literally so much to say about what my preferences are as far as interviewing uh the first funny thing though is like i didn't really start interviewing artists until a little bit into the pandemic last year and i did the same thing as jessica finn which was after like shit having roommates in New York for six years, which was go back home because New York was mad apocalyptic at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, but I would also literally never like allow my parents to watch me interview someone <laughs> that would like never happen. Um, so that was definitely a wild, when I read that, I was like, damn, I can't believe you like let them sit in while you're interviewing someone. Cause that would make me feel so weird about it. Um, but as far as like, I re I actually was talking to someone about this literally the other day, um, which is uh, actually is our, our friend Brandon. He was like, I'm, I'm really looking forward to the, you know, getting and doing in-person interviews. And what I said to him was there's actually something about Zoom and I like to be able to see someone and have the camera on and, you know, record it with the Zoom recording software it makes it kind of easier. You don't have to rely on your phone just getting out of the speaker or whatever. But there's something actually um that i think provides a little bit of a safety net to the the artist that you're interviewing with the separation of zoom that it provides rather than like being right there that i would imagine on the other side and i i feel like i kind of instinctually see it allows them to open up because you know if you're doing an in-person interview anyway you don't really know them you're just kind of sitting down and you press a recorder and it goes but this kind of setup of like you know i'm in my own space and you're in your own space but you're asking me questions i think provides a certain level of comfort um that you know prior to zoom really existing and emerging in the pandemic and people having to do in-person interviews or like over the phone when you're not like looking at each other through a computer screen um i think it's kind of provided an advantage to interviewer interviews but i mean i'd be interested to hear from someone who's done a lot of in-person interviews and then had to transfer to zoom too yeah i gotta say that um nothing nothing beats nothing beats in person um as long as uh, which both of you guys are, are, are touching on, as long as um, you have a chemistry and as long as you're able to um, respect the artist's uh, comfort. Um, I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's all about being really, really, really interested in a character and really, really interested um, in music. I think just inevitably in their music, you know, not how much you know, um, but you know what what they're feeling. Um, yeah. So for me, every time uh, it's 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 green room, um, it's rehearsals, it's like getting in on into the process as, as early as possible. Um, it is dogging PRs who will only give me you know forty five minutes and a and a so called phoner. 
which I fucking hate. Um, yeah. And uh, everything <laughs> everything that I can do to um, get uh, personal access. And of course, a lot of really interesting artists just uh, just rip off um, that often um, useless uh, band aid um, of the PR. I mean, obviously, a good PR will also have a have a sense of you know what the chemistry is, who this person is who's coming in to the uh, the artist and i think it's i think it's our job to give them a sense of that vibe in how we carry ourselves and how we behave when we're with them um but i'm just going to so i'm just going to i'm just going to read um this first uh paragraph in a high rise office block somewhere in england aurora found her first moth it was tucked in the space between two glass panes of a double window, the waning winter sunlight warming the underside of its belly, just so. The, way, the, the scene and the way I picture it, the room was vibrating with chatter, keyboards clattering with a certain nonchalance, the bitter taste of the new French blend just starting to kick in. Without so much as a warning, label managers and production assistants were politely asked to pause their music industry-related discussion. From across the room, pens were placed down unanimously. Eyebrows were raised. Was this a Norwegian thing? And confused glances were exchanged from above desks littered with paperwork. The intern left to finish to fetch another round of extra shot lattes, the door slamming shut. So there we are, boom. Um, I've got this really condensed novelistic storytelling that pulls you in uh, and in a completely non-obvious way. So uh, we later learn that uh, Aurora's got a thing about accepting gifts of dead bugs from from fans. Um, but we don't know anything about that. Um, we're just we're, we're given this scene. You've got the group dynamics, you've got atmosphere um, and you feel the power of, of Aurora as a protagonist through the ways that others react. And that kind of follows through um, later um, in the way that and listen to the listen how to how she sketches out uh, out this character Aurora likes to be on land to feel the grass beneath her toes to feel a bit bored I've got no idea actually where that comes from whether it's the interview or whether it's uh, Jessica's observation or the music but it's a it's a it's 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 a great line um, and then listening to her speak her voice so melodic and charming a glimpse of Aurora's sharp tongue is like a snake bite, piercing yet seductive. So I love when a writer is just willing to go there um, in terms of um, portraying a character um, in this novelistic way. And Mickey, you mentioned the uh, yeah, the, you know, the the moth metaphors, obvious um, writerly device, but at the same time, it's it's grounded in this story, and it then carries through um, talking about uh, talking about the the music um, itself. So I'm just going to read what happened to the the moth, and and, and then we'll, then we'll we'll open up. Um, as far as Aurora was concerned, all talk of her debut album, my all my demons greeting me as a friend, could wait. I had to I had to ask the record company people to lift me up so I could reach my hand down into the window and reach the moth. At this, she grins, the kind of grin you might see on a child caught stealing the last cookie from the cookie jar. So I'm just breaking away to say, so there you go, you know, you've got this, you're seeing what, what the artist is, you know, how they're reacting, how they are telling the story in, in the interview. Back to 
um, what Jessica's writing. With its wings folded back, the her windowsill moth was a delicate creature, a body without a soul, which in her mind meant it was up for grabs. It would travel back home with her in a tiny glass bottle, the first in her collection of tiny dead creatures. An eternal treasure hunt is how Aurora describes this game of finders keepers. Five years later, fans would continue to gift her dead bugs. As with her, as with her moths, she would vow to protect them from the sunlight, knowing that one day they too will return to dust. And so later, um, Jessica connects this with uh, um, Aurora's attitude to towards her her work, um, and the you know the singer comes across as as somebody uh, who is um, poetic, free, um, utterly rebellious, uh, not somebody who's interested in impressing you with, you know, how, how hard she's worked to get here, you know, all of that, the sort of story of graft and labor, which I always feel is a bit like when, you know, if you, if you invite everybody around, and you make them a fantastic meal, and then you kind of, while they're eating it, you tell them in great detail, you know, all the effort you went to, it just, it just, it just kills it. Um, and so this is the last bit I'm going to read. I find it hard to connect with the achievements of music, of my music. She self-corrects, cupping her face in her palms, staring at the screen intently. The minute I release something out into the world, it is out of my hands and out of my control. I am very comfortable with letting it out of my mind. I'm busy working on my next step my next album or single. So that relates to the moths, but the writer is doing something really clever here. Um, they're putting in this, there's a sort of tacit, because it's so poignant, that image, the moth image, it stayed with you and 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 she takes it through right to the end with the idea of a, the moth dancing around a, a cigarette lighter that um, Aurora might be holding. And what she's suggesting here is, well, she's saying that, but you know, does she really feel that? Um, so I just love the way that she, you know, that that, that Jessica gives um, gives Aurora credit for subverting any interview that she's in. Um, and I love writers who also just subvert that situation. It's like, you know, come on, we're we're two artists. Uh, we've both got game. You know, we're we're here, kind of observing each other, and we're creating each other with that interplay. Do you know what I mean? Yes. I, one of my, which is not one that you read, one of my favorite quotes was, uh, and I think this is like a real like study in inserting quotes into a profile. Like I think they're so cleverly put in in a lot of the ones that you mentioned, but one of mine was, had kind of a similar essence to it where it was like kind of Aurora going back and forth between two things. So you can't exactly put your finger on what her actual perspective is, but was the one where she kind of broke down like the need to experiment as an artist and like going down, you need to do all of these different things and then going into like society's views of women and what they can and can't do. And then at the very end of the quote, she says, uh, let me see if I can find it. Um, it's fun to play around exploring new things, but always keeping to the core. And it's like, she said all of this stuff about just being free and doing whatever you want, but she's also inherently aware that like her, you know, core musical, uh, sound or, or soundscape sonics that she's put together is inherently something that she needs to put out and hold to because it's who she is, even though she's doing all of this experimenting. So it's kind of what you're describing too, Soma, is that like dichotomy between the two things and her being kind of hard to place of where she is actually lying and thinking about things. And it's almost this kind of beautiful hypocrisy because it's not even though it is, um, 
Yeah, I, I thought that was really cool. Uh, continual quote insertion by Jessica Finn and just a really interesting character study of Aurora overall. Yeah, and and of course, the bit that you've pulled out makes one think, well, that's how that's how moths are, too. They retain their right. structure right you know even though it's kind of crumbling away so you know it's a kind of it's a kind of thing that she's she's fastened on this story about a moth um sure it could be corny but here in fact it actually flutters the whole piece to life um and for me personally it's such a joy when i see this kind of um really adroit novelistic you know telling this bigger story and telling this bigger story about what is this music doing this music is different it's crossing over from genre she mentions Enya you know there was that so the runaway ballad is uh, like what sort of folksy electro um, and then this, uh, this 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 new one um, is uh, just um, so much more uh, funky um, and um, poppy um, and, and completely different um, so yeah, I think it was just a, it's a great um, way of painting a figure anew. Um, so you, you might have thought that you knew this artist, but um, the way that this writer is presenting this artist, uh, you're seeing something new. thoughts before we move on to the next article i think honestly soma gave me her second amazing alley-oop of the podcast so far <laughs> and with the uh a painting an artist a new vibe because uh in a very different way obviously for for my piece so i'll just go right into it um so my piece is how gucci main rebuilt his life and started building the walmart of record labels by nina ruhani for billboard um and so rather than the 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 writer painting the artist anew on their own terms. Basically, this cover story for Gucci Mane is um, painting the picture just using kind of what happened in storytelling of Gucci Mane himself becoming anew through a set of circumstances. Um, so yeah, again, shout out <laughs> Soma for really setting, setting that bar up that I had not anticipated. Um, but yeah, so... Um, as any people who have listened to this podcast know, I also, as much as Soma, maybe even more love reading quotes. So, uh, oh, to yeah, kind of tie all the time, <laughs> that's my time. deal. So, um, I'll start out with my kind of breakdown of this piece, um, with the, the intro paragraph kind of like Soma did, because I think it's really important to read out loud. Um, and so, yeah, here's the first paragraph again by Nina Ruhani for billboard. On a partly cloudy spring morning five years ago, Roderick Davis, better known as the rap superstar Gucci Mane, quietly traded in his navy blue prison jumpsuit for Ralph Lauren sweats and Nike Air Jordan sneakers. He had chosen the outfit himself, and his then-girlfriend, Keisha Kawir, brought it to the federal penitentiary in rural Indiana, where he had been serving a three-year sentence for firearms possession. So this dynamic opening gives you a visual image of the turning point and almost rebirth in Gucci Mane's life and career and cleverly inserts a thesis without you even really knowing it until you realize it later. This piece covers a lot, including Gucci Mane's full 1017 solo label come up and all the trials and tribulations of that, him being the forefather of trap and his views on traditional accolades, his versus battle with Jeezy, which we'll talk about later, and even stigmas on therapy and mental health. 
but the through line that holds it all together is really his own retreat from being the center of attention by centering his focus on his home, priorities, and structure. The piece never disregards the fact that uh, some semblance of Gucci Mane's past problematic behavior created a space where if he emerged on the other side, he'd have a solid foundation off the strength of the chaos he centered himself within. In, in that opening paragraph, though, that last sentence about choosing how he would present himself alongside his now life partner in a low-key fashion, coming out of that space with far less of an emphatic boom as he went in with, carries through the piece deciphering every detail needed to encompass him as he is now fully realized. It is, it is an incredibly well-crafted journalistic timeline, I think that's the best way to describe this piece, that jumps about but gives what feels like a very holistic assessment of a character who is somewhat larger than life. It peeks you into his human behind-the-scenes moments of fatherhood and love, but never relieves you of that outward being that Roderick Davis or Gucci Mane encapsulates. Um, yeah, so Tyler, I mean, even I think before uh, Soma hopped on the call earlier before we started recording, we were kind of talking about that kind of laying out um, the storytelling for an artist um, and what I said in our little mini conversation um, which we can all react to now a little bit and Tyler go ahead and start is like the act of a writer whereas like with Soma's piece which is very well done just in a different kind of tactic is like putting your own spin on the feel of the artist through the artist this one is really mm -hmm. about like getting out of the way and kind of portraying the artist in a timeline fashion and condensing it so you get a kind of whole approach or idea of the sequencing of life of Gucci Mane as this figure um and in a very kind of again tactical breakdown of how it all goes down but jumping back and forth in time in order to do so so uh Tyler why don't you start um about how that was effective for you for me, it was effective just because when I read stories like this and you have to almost really it's it's when you see the the greater picture of Gucci Mane and you, you can almost like go from like this one little quote of just how he changed his name of like how guap the original thing was like, get your weight up, pussy. And it's now it's like it's now these it's these bigger words that are almost like life mantras like God, unity, wisdom, opportunity power which he something he tweeted back in 2016 and that's the real big difference like that this whole entire piece encapsulates is like how this grimy gutter dude went to as they said gangster glam where the past is not only leave behind but you also need that past almost like it's almost starts off cinematic while you almost while you had soma's piece that was almost like very novel novelistic um and it was you know how you're like oh i'm being i'm reading a novel right now this is almost like you're reading a script for like a movie guy leaves jail has little flashbacks of how he used to be and to where he's now scarface the more modern business oriented lean tight could still beat my tail like <laughs> type <laughs> dude right yeah. um and but the importance of but the but the reason that the other uh Nina does such a great job of that is like it needed almost that linear but flashbacks type of storytelling. It's like uh, how you it's almost you let the story tell itself. You as as them getting out of the way with um, with them on the writing the piece, they let the story tell itself and how this journey got him to where he's at now. Yeah, but there are also still some kind of tactical moves as far as like. Well, firstly, the kind of interesting thing is like there's little mentions of him actually um, starting the process on doing a bio biopic um, 
I don't, I just swear. While I just, in jail. While, while, while in jail. <laughs> while he had come in jail, up with a, a plan wild, for yeah. all of this while in jail, which I is. I know. It's wow. crazy. But, but Nina also, um, she inserts little bits and pieces from his autobiography to kind of even like enhance that sort of storytelling aspect even more um, to use, you know, which is, a I think, in, in that structure is a very clever way to kind of fill out the piece um, and, and really, again, get that kind of holistic quality. Now, Soma, we've kind of talked a little bit off off the, the recording about... Um, the specific aspect that I thought was really interesting that you brought up to me that like, and it goes with kind of what I've said about letting the artists speak for themselves and how, what this piece does because it is very like in the timeline structure and kind of putting that all together, even though it's like out of order, it like opens up a lot of other questions that I think to me, I'd, I'd have to talk to Ruhani obviously. Um, but, uh, it leaves space to, for questions to come up, um, that are not necessarily fully explored of like follow-up questions funny because we were talking about interviews um, where space where you can kind of like ask your own questions of like what's the deeper story behind this um, after the information is kind of presented so I was actually interested uh, potentially in any of the questions because we had talked about it before that you may have had um, to follow up the spaces that were kind of not as explored as as um, as they could have been because of the way that Rouhani was presenting it. I really like what Tyler said there about it's like a it's like a movie script, and um, mm. I think he meant. Did he mention Scarface? Was that yeah. was that reference there? I didn't. I didn't even mention Scarface. Yeah, it right. Seems like okay. This larger of life figure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Um, and I think yeah, really interesting figure, um, and uh, the piece did leave me with a lot of questions i mean um there's so much fun to be had with this uh figure as well you know um what's what's the story of his connection with gucci um you know when did he decide to pursue that and then end up becoming the face of the label i mean that's just a a fantastic um modern story of um you know creating your identity um and uh and then claiming it and uh, and and literally owning it, you know, owning the brand after which, as it were, by becoming the face of the brand and um, no doubt being um, well remunerated for it. So the connection with the Gucci label, um, the history of addiction, it's just mentioned at the at the top that um, that he was big into lean and um, that he that, that he'd kicked that um, the drug selling. Um, past the confession to um, murdering a guy to shooting somebody to death um, the, we're told that there's this deep mental transformation um, but I would have liked to, I would have liked to have heard from him a little bit on that like what was the transformation you know where where had he been um, and also you know what was what was good about prison if prison was the catalyst for you know working out a lot of things you know how and why um, and, and you know, for me personally I think that's I think all these questions are um, not only interesting but uh, actually really important when we're talking about figures like this who are known for being violent, bragging, misogynistic, you know, this blinged up gang culture, which oh, we've seen so many times and is just deadly uh, killing young black men. So, um, 
None of which is necessarily new, but I think the opportunity to sit down with somebody like this and actually get his take on that, um, it would have been great to have to have heard more from him. Well, I think one thing that I did here as far as like the the thing that, you know, that last prison stint was it locked him into more of like a structured existence that he felt like he needed, which he carried through him through with him afterwards. Um, and kind of the other thing that I thought was really um, intriguing to me was uh, all of that kind of stuff that you mentioned of like the life experience how that has and what what Rouhani did decide to zone in on is how that has made his own uh, ability as a label head more effective kind of through empathy and patience, particularly when um, rappers on his own label have gone through their kind of own trials and tribulations that mirror his own in a little bit in a a way. Um, So I thought I thought that was that was kind of an an interesting translation or thing to zone in on uh, uh about that that kind of as tyler was talking about kind of past and how it's affected now and another part that i thought was pretty fascinating was it, as we were talking about character right the transformation and how like you want to almost like see those glimpses of like how prison changed him and how he's still the same is that first meeting um where they're talking about um where with his label where they're like what's your five-year plan and he's like no, he's like, no, I got a 10 year plan and, and, and how we can make money now. So you almost like see where he transformed, has transformed a little bit where he's gotten patience. Cause like transformed that five year plan to a 10 year plan, but also with that almost still that hustler mentality of like, if we're gonna have a 10 year plan, we're gonna make money now The we can, we, we gonna, we gonna be patient for like the bigger money, but for like how to get money now, that's how that's, that's where he like has still had his priority. It's not only just for him, but it's for his artists as well. Because now you see the rise of Pushaisti, and how he's like, and how he's come, how he's basically in like um, in the article as well, how he's almost laid that out to lay to like to have someone big in the streaming era, right? And then to to kind of um, go back to the the other thing about the kind of version of rehabilitation, also too, is like prison affected him in one way, but also. Um, even while he was on that path there, I think it was uh, maybe the most potent part of the piece to me was how it was kind of like a dual thing of like having that structure, but also having his wife, his now wife um, existing with him through all of the kind of, you know, <laughs> admittedly by him problematic uh, periods, even in prison while he was, you know, being disruptive and, and frustrated. Um, and that section of kind of, uh, the real kind of raw reality that he, in order to kind of flip this script on his life, needed an intense amount of like em- empathy, care, and forgiveness for someone to kind of stick by him through it, which is it clearly kind of indicated on some level that, you know, he wouldn't have been able to come out on this other side without that. Um, and that that like that separation from the the kind of overwhelming reality in that space that he's provided with Keisha, his wife, um, is so essential to this kind of rebirth that that Rouhani was talking about. I was wondering what your thoughts at all on that section were. Yeah, I, I really liked that um, little glimpse into the the the, the real um, 
day-to-day um, dynamic between the two of them, um, where Rouhani uh, reports um, uh, them talking about how they would take their breaks and their food at the same time. So there would be this mutual rhythm between the lovers um, so that they would, as if they were going through this together. Um, and I think I would have liked um, more on that um, just to just to really understand, you know, how in his own words, um, where and how this transformation uh, comes through. And I think we Scarface has unfortunately come up as a motif here um and my feeling about uh, we also hear about how he's a really protective dad and um there's no way you can get to um see his kids at the moment because of the pandemic unless you've gone through quarantine or you've got you've been double vaccinated and so on and that's you know that again that's like an interesting um little little glimpse there um, into the um, vulnerability underneath um, that uh, that he should be so um, protective, but at the same time, you know, the the Godfather loves his kids. You know, the Godfather loves his family. Um, so there, you know, there are those tensions there. And for me, it's 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 difficult to read a piece that's talking about um, somebody being somebody being killed in it. Um, and we, um, but then we don't, we just don't approach. Um, we don't really approach uh, uh, Gucci Mane's violence, um, you know, how he felt about it then, how he felt about it now. Um, and I've, you know, obviously, uh, it would be interesting to know uh, what kind of space was was given for this interview. We were we were talking at the top about, you know, getting close to somebody, and and Tyler was talking about, you know, taking time to have a, to have a to have a rapport. Um, and I have obviously no idea what the what the circumstances were, but yeah, I agree that those glimpses of um, domestic grounding um, were interesting. But I think that there's there's somewhere that's a lot you know a lot deeper um, where where we could go. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> interview interview confines will always be interesting, and like that's that's obviously a thing you always have to navigate with PR when you're doing interviews and like what the the agreements are on the piece and the sign-offs um and uh I, I mean there was clearly kind of what we talked about earlier some kind of tactful use of things that were in the autobiography that maybe weren't able to be accessed through the interview um and yeah i mean especially with a figure that had so many ups and downs in their career as were you know displayed in this piece it's yeah it's it's got to be an interesting kind of deal especially when there's all of these kind of like legal things that happened um, to, to kind of garner whatever access you can get and kind of crafting something out of it. And I, I definitely thought as far as like chronicling the story that I feel like and for someone who's like a big, big, has been a big Gucci Mane fan. I've talked to multiple <laughs> people about it that like in Baltimore growing up, like there was no bigger artist in my high school era than him. Um, and getting kind of the real full, more of a full rounded understanding of that timeline and kind of what events led to one another was, was an interesting read for me to say the least. Um, yeah. It's yeah. So it, go ahead. Tyler. Oh no, I'll just say um, it's for, for profiles and interviews like this, right. It's always interesting to see like as an interviewer or as a journalist, this isn't, this is like be a weird metaphor, but like, how do you look into the eyes of a giant? if they don't let you um, get to their height, um, right? 
and building that rapport sometimes can like sometimes break down that giant into like um until they're human again um building up that rapport building up like um whatever you need to to like we're almost like crack that uh that that uh shell um for gucci man for any for every interview i have seen of him like just in person i haven't seen anyone break that shell yet so that's that's i think that is a tall tall task to have but it's still what uh what she was able to get out of him though i think we're nice we're nice nice generous and big ups to her big ups to nina So the last piece of the evening is it's a little bit of an older repeat a little bit of an older piece. It's um let me see was written or at least published um in December 2018. But I think it's incredibly relevant today. Um title being Real R&B seemed like a lost art. Fresh voices have fresh excuse me, fresh voices have changed that. But is it enough by Garrick D Kennedy? Um Basically, he started off the piece with a huge win in a way uh, uh, with Bruno Mars getting his Grammy for the 24K Ma Magic album, which I love, by the way. But it seemed what like he was talking about how and gave almost giving a timeline and history lesson of how R&B, how it was essentially lost. I believe in like almost like a lost period of R&B in the mainstream um, which is why it captivated me off rip and how it's making its resurgence today or at least um it started to in like 2017 2018 with these new right new crop of voices that were breaking the bounds by also making it old um with voices like daniel caesar her lma and seeing its almost resurgence in mainstream media and radio um i also another reason i chose this piece is because i feel like it could it could bring a larger conversation to the state of r&b music right now who's winning in it quote unquote because if you because an uh, interesting fact i looked up was i was like okay what was the last number one r&b album on the billboard 200 just out of curiosity i thought it was going to be summer walkers over it which was a huge smash but it was actually blocked by a k-pop album by the way um nct uh no excuse me it was super m's uh album because i also listen to k-pop and but the last r&b album to actually go number one where it's still considered r&b or urban contemporary which I also i hate urban contemporary the word like a lot um was chris brown's indigo and that was in 2019. That was the last R&B album to go number one um, by itself. And even then, that album is, is heavily infused with pop, urban contemporary music. If you can't tell, I'm doing huge air quotations when I say that. Um, and I can explain why I hate that word later. Um, but I want to give uh, get y'all's thoughts on the article and general and the larger conversation it brings up, um, starting with Soma. Yeah, so... Um... I found this article interesting. Uh, in I mean, first of all, um, Kennedy does it's a Kennedy does a really solid job here of outlining 
um, uh, an industry problem, how artists are reacting to that and uh, to what extent um, the audience which um, he broadly identifies as being like an older audience who are um, into uh, R&B and then uh, uh, a younger audience who are more driven by hip-hop. Um, and the setup of the article is kind of like hip-hop is killing R&B. That's like kind of, in short... <laughs> That's the here we go. That's it, and 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 um, and then it's a really interesting probe into um, having obviously um, set up that really um, juicy hook. You know, got your attention. Um, he then go, he then sort of digs down by talking to um, record industry managers and artists, and then actually looking at. Um, the numbers in terms of what's happening with streaming, um, what's happening with with radio play. Is it really? So is it true? Is it true that um, hip hop is killing R and B? That's the, you know, that's the, that's the pitch. If you were writing this article, that would be, you know, that would be what will get you um, the commission. And it's juicy. It's it's a, it's almost like a very sexy like <laughs> thing to like grab it by. They're like, because that's if you talk to certain people you talk to, they're like whoa that's it it's triggering to certain to certain people yeah it's triggering yeah and i think <laughs> and it's it's absolutely it's it's um there, there is that reaction but i but i thought um what i found interesting was that uh both looking at it from um a stateside point of view and then looking at it from the uk point of view and then looking at it from like more indie crossover R&B rather than mainstream, mainstream. So if we were to just look at um, like chart music, UK chart music, um, let's think of uh, like a really charty group like the like the girl band um, Little Mix. Um, so uh, Little Mix, they're one of those TV made um, pop groups. Um, they are usually to be found hanging out um, in the top 10 and they have a hugely R&B influenced style and this piece you know kind of it touches on that how just so much pop music is um, R&B influenced so there are questions to be raised in this in you know that for us to uh, for the reader to consider when when reading this piece as to how do we define R&B um, but anyway little mix um got rappers on board, um, did their own rapping as well, um, having started out as a more melodic um, pop group. And that's a that's a clear signal um, that when a very commercial band is is choosing to do that um, and getting people like uh, Ty Dolla Sign um, to work with them, um, rapping uh, Nicki Minaj um, and, and all of that. Um, that clearly there is there's something in what Kennedy's saying. On the other hand, um, there are uh, young R&B artists and young R&B crossover artists um, like Joy Crooks, like um, Sudan Archives and Sans Souci. Um, both of those Sudan Archives um, uses uh, the African um uh, fiddle and strings uh, in her work as well, um, and uh, Sansi C has a has a has an indie vibe, and she's an up and coming um, R and B artist whom we've covered at the Demented Goddess. So, 
a lot of R&B that I listen to is on this indie tip and um, a lot of the time I'm discovering people through SoundCloud um, which Kennedy is claiming uh, doesn't really um, serve R&B that it that it only that it only serves hip hop and, and I'm not sure about that I think it's more a split between um, the independent artists and the DJs who are able to use streaming and use technology to just make music and get it out there uh, versus uh, more old school I need a record label behind me and I think there's some of that hidden antagonism in this piece which yeah definitely makes it uh, juicy. <laughs> yeah, so. I think for, I, I want to mention the, the kind of structuring and writing and just really, really solid, great reporting. I mean, it's from the L.A. Times, Garrett Kennedy. So like, yeah, of course. Um, and I think this also similar to the first piece in a very different way is re- does a really good job of quote insertion and, and using it to frame the narrative. Um, and it's it's really, really definitely very interesting to see the stats and the streaming influence from an R&B perspective. Uh, and the, but the interesting thing for me mostly is like a thing I, I feel like I've been saying a lot lately that like the, the answer to so many problems is like, well, you just got to eradicate capitalism. Um, and then, then, but this one, the thing that I kind of think that's funny that it brought up was like to eradicate more like the capitalist way of thinking of thinking that that's the next way to like improve or bring some like to get the numbers. Whereas like the, the most intriguing parts of the piece to me were like when people were kind of trying to figure out actually, how do we bring it back or bring this kind of version back? And the, the kind of striking example of that was booed up at the time, which is like the most traditional of R and B feeling songs ever. Um, and it's just kind of like, and that has like really translated since then, which is really interesting. And like what it is, is it's like that first guy, I'm going to forget who the, the, the dude who was was talking is kind of someone at a label who was talking about like, you need to get a rapper on an R and B song in order for it to get, and then like boot up kind of like took away that ideology. So it's like this, this idea of like, when you actually the real natural real way to get it to come back is to make the music organically let it happen and then push it and the on, the like real issue definitely that they got down to was like the R&B budgets versus the pop budgets which definitely has this like clear undertone of racism to it um and you know like what would be and then that also is like always like what they think as the record labels would be more palatable to white people and then there's like the underlying thing of like <laughs> then it's like eradicate capitalism again um i mean yes we should uh, yes eradicate capitalism yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes but it's it's just that like the the real thing is um is not thinking in the standard of like any the, the way to success in bringing that back the form of the art form is to just do it in the way that is organic to the artist and then push it. Um, and boot up is a proof of that. And many projects since then are the proof of that. It just, it gets hard definitely for artists. And I have a lot of empathy for that when they have to like navigate the system of, uh, I mean, honestly, white supremacy in the music industry to where they can't get to the rooted sound of black music that existed in the nineties. Um, but in their own individualized way in like a modern context, because when that stuff happens and if it's pushed right, the bounds are endless. 
artist development is a big thing that I think that was like almost got like undertone of this whole entire piece. Um, I wouldn't discuss when discussing like the new artists and what they're able to do and everything of that nature. Um, artist development is a big like I I see examples of it like in her. Her had a lot of time for artist development and actually just like being able to like experiment with sound and going there and going places and actually putting her on radio. That was the big thing. I think they also discussed how like R&B music lost its radio. Not not necessarily appeal, but it's actually its presence in it. So when they got to it, you start to see like the more modern cases of like SZA, Summer Walker, her, all, and these these newer artists like claiming it again. Um, and I think that also the person you're looking for at the beginning of the article that had that quote, Mickey, was Claude Kelly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think like there and it's it's interesting to look back, obviously, at this piece again, because like the root of those three artists that you mentioned, um, I never thought about it in the context of boot up. But this like article really framed it as like that was like the oh, we can actually go number one with the shit. And then it like le- left space for those artists to kind of flourish from there. Um, the, the one that also, uh, the quote that did stick out to me, um, was also from Erica Coulter. I liked, um, what, what she had to say, kind of like inserted in the middle of the piece, which had that kind of more like glass half full attitude towards it where she said, but that's where we've gotten mixed it up. We want R&B to be as huge as it was in the nineties. And to be an R&B singer means you not, not only have to be comfortable in your skin, but also with the work of navigating the genre and not everyone is. And that, that kind of just goes back to the other point that I had before is like, you know, you want to navigate and find like the area to modernize the same thing. And you shouldn't want it to be exactly like it was in the nineties, but more the modern version of that same feeling, but also like to have the self-confidence. And then of course, again, you do need on some level, some type of push or navigating the internet to be comfortable enough in your skin to make the true version of the music that is organic to you and to not like shift into what the label thinks is going to work. Cause that just never works regardless of anything. And there are, I mean, I think um, there are a lot of, obviously, and, and me and Tyler can go down the rabbit hole with this forever. There are so many artists that are doing that so successfully and have started to get a certain level of push and will continue to. And one great example of like bringing back that feeling of the 90s, but doing it in a more um, modern context is someone like Joyce Rice or like a group called Children of Zeus out of the UK. Um, and they're like, you know, sometimes mm-hmm. it's going to be niche and sometimes it is about timing. But I really think like, you know, if if Joyce Rice or like Children of Zeus or people like that really got that like major label budget push there, the the possibilities are endless. And like I, I, you know, I hope in this kind of flip of how the industry works, that there can be kind of like a mass uh, label budgeted thing pushed towards these type of artists um, who, and people and, you know, A&Rs and executives who realize the, the possibilities of that potential. Yeah, I think what Kennedy does really well in this piece is uh, bring out the tensions from the different camps uh, on that question. And we can suggest that artists might want to navigate a space, but hell, you know, then you, what you're basically saying is, yeah, take all this... Uh, 
you know, organic, true self um, that, that Mickey's um, pinpointed um, and then fit it into this space, you know, fit it into this map. I mean, fuck that. You know, this is like, this is a continual um, pain uh, for artists. Um, and they're, they're, I mean, we just listened to, to, to two quotes um, next to one another um, from uh, from Kennedy's piece. Um, so on the one hand, we've got a, a record uh, label boss. Uh, Streaming reaches the world. It's huge. But does it help my pocket? I don't know yet, Young admits. And then we've got an artist here, Seven Streeter. Labels think particular genres of music make more money and sponsors buy into that because of what history has shown us over the years. As artists, we get discouraged. If my fans had to go through everything I've gone through or Tinashe has gone through to get our music out, they would give up. And I think the piece is really good at framing all of those tensions and allowing some of those questions to play out in the the reader's mind is it even possible to navigate this world or should these artists say fuck it anyway and just go their own way in terms of creating their space i agree um it's because instead of like making you making an artist as someone was saying before making the artist fit into the industry it will be better if we just make space, right? That's the whole entire thing when it comes to like diversity and inclusion in the same, at the same time. Making space for the new artists instead of like trying to have them fit in, right? Um, so I think the ideas that are brought up here that are now currently being explored, because like once again, this article is now three years old, we're seeing it happen. We're seeing artists make a space for themselves, whether creatively, musically, or even marketing-wise. Um, me and Mickey have an artist that we both like that I think is doing just that. Uh, Brent Fiez, who is definitely like doing his own thing. Um, and, and it was now also, and just by doing his own, cause I don't think he signed to a major unless, unless Mickey, Mickey corrects me in like five seconds. No, nah, he's, he's the quit as, as many say, he's the quintessential uh, to be looked at indie artist through and through. Yeah. And, and there we go. And now you see him collaborating with like, the Neptunes, the biggest artist in the world, arguably with Drake, um, how he was also part of the PG Lang campaign. Um, and he's and he's doing it his own way, right? I think artists can do that nowadays in this urban contemporary space, which by the way, if I'm just gonna get this out of the way, I hate the word urban. It's just another word for black. Urban contemporary is just like if you look up if you took a look up the two definitions, it's modern black, and I hate that so much. Because <laughs> that means like labels don't know what to do with it, and that's why they have a, whenever they have an urban contemporary department, they're not actually giving true as you were saying, Mickey. They're not actually giving true time, space, and investment into these artists. And how someone was saying, um, how they're trying to make them fit into a white safe space of what their music should sound like. Um, so yeah, that's a quick little tidbit on why I hate that word. Yeah, and I mean, this is the thing. At the end of the day, too, is is you know. Music also, like, is so much about timing. So, like, you know, you can... That's why at the end of the day is is you kind of got to go with who you are naturally. And the thing that's cool about the internet is mm -hmm. your stuff can be brought back later if it wasn't the right timing when it was released initially. Um, like Lizzo. I, like Lizzo is a perfect example of that. Speaking of someone who's, like, 
in depth and, and unique in the R&B space. Um, so I, I just, it's interesting to kind of look back at that, the mindset of even two years ago, how it was still rooted way more in the major label pathway and, um, how, like you said, Tyler, someone like F- Brent Fias now has totally decided to go in another niche route and how it's been successful for him financially and can for many other people. And the thing is that could happen too is, and I mean, you know, there, there are other artists like him is like, <laughs> if enough artists like that get successful, then the labels are going to adapt to it and then eventually give bigger budgets to artists like that who can be as successful as Brent and, you know, artists will get more support by, you know, disregarding the label process in the first place. So hopefully we keep going up with that. Absolutely. All righty then. So once again, to recap our articles for today, we had Soma's piece, which was called Inspired by the Light and the Dark Clash Meets Aurora by Jessica Finn. We had how Gucci Mane rebuilt his life and started re, um, started building the Walmart of record labels by Nina Rohani. And lastly, real R&B seemed like a lost art. Fresh voices have changed that. But is it enough? By Garrick D. Kennedy. And with that, we are in search of songs. This episode of Research of Source featured Simon Ghosh, Mickey Hellerback, and Tyler Jones of the Central Source Creative Collective. The episode was edited by me, Chai Taylor, of the Fifth Film Podcast Network. Music for this show is functioned up by Barsty, as a duo of records for the ability to use. This has been a Central Source and Fifth Film Podcast Network production. It's a Barsty, duo of records, Central Source, the Fifth Element, and content covered in the episode can all be found in the full show notes below. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you next time as we continue our search for Source. Thank you.